0: Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan, presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions. Each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Welcome. My name is Caroline Moassasi, and I'm FACT's Roundtable podcast host. I'm honored to take on this role with FACT, as I'm also a passionate allergy and asthma advocate on the national and international level a parent of children with food allergies, and the founder of GratefulFoodie.com. We're going to explore how to eat healthy and nutritious while on a restricted diet with registered dietitian and nutritionist Sherry Coleman-Collins from the National Peanut Board. Sherry Coleman-Collins is a registered dietitian nutritionist licensed in Georgia and based in metro Atlanta. Her areas of practice include nutrition communications, food allergies, digestive wellness, and and culinary nutrition. As a communicator, Sherry is a sought-after speaker and has presented at dozens of professional and consumer conferences across the country. Sherry has published dozens of articles in a variety of print and online publications and serves as an expert to the media. With a particular interest and expertise in food allergies and digestive health, her professional accomplishments include developing the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics Certificate of Training in Food Allergies and authoring the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics practice paper, The Role of the RDN in the Food Allergy Diagnosis and Management, Sherry serves as a consultant for the National Peanut Board. Sherry is an active member of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Dietitians in Business and Communications, DPG, and International Network for Diet, Nutrition, and Allergy. She is an award-winning dietitian, having received the Distinguished Service in Media in 2016, Outstanding Dietitian of the Year in 2012, and Outstanding Dietetic Student of the Year 2004 for the Georgia Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Welcome, Sherry. It is so wonderful to have you on the show with us today. Thanks, Caroline. I'm excited to be here. We're going to dive right in, Sherry, to some questions specifically actually about you. So what inspired you to dedicate your life to food and nutrition?
1: Oh, that's such a fun question because it started early for me. I was actually always really interested in food and nutrition. Well, probably more food in the beginning (laughs) and then nutrition later. And as a teenager, I actually became a vegetarian and was very, very interested in food and the food system. And then I, but I never really knew as a teenager that you could become a dietitian. Like, I didn't know anybody who was a dietitian. I didn't know anything about the practice. I didn't know about it until I was an adult. So, I actually had another career. I worked in event planning and fundraising, actually, for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And during my work with the CF Foundation, I met a dietitian and I learned about dietetics as a career. And it was just mind blowing for me and really exciting and opened a whole opportunity that I had never even considered. So as an adult, I actually went back to school and got my undergraduate and my graduate degree in nutrition at Georgia State University. And it took about five years. I remember, so anybody who's thinking to themselves, maybe I want to do something different with this part of my life. I would always encourage people to do that because I remember going to meet with the person who was in charge of the program and saying what I wanted to do. And she looked at me and she sort of took her glasses off and said, is going to take you a long time. <laughs> and I. it was okay, though, because I knew at that point, I had been so inspired by the work of the dietitian at the CF Center that I wanted to do that too. And so then I went to back to school, it took me five years. And I was just so excited about what food and nutrition could do in helping prevent and treat disease that I just felt like I, I, this is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And so it's a very, it's sort of a con, you know, a conversion that happened. I was in a different path. And then all of a sudden I, I came upon nutrition and dietetics as a career.
0: That's really exciting and really fun. And I do think people don't realize there is a real connection between disease and nutrition, not only to support someone during treatment or something, but just, of impacting the disease and receiving proper nutrition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at all of the major diseases that we face in our country, almost all of them are lifestyle related, you know, so heart disease, cancer, stroke. Those are sort of the top three. All of them have a very significant uh, nutritional component. And then, of course, um, diabetes is always up in the up high on the list as well. And nutrition plays a, a really significant part. And, of course, in food allergies, nutrition is such an important part of maintaining your health.
0: You know, with food allergies, when my son was diagnosed when he was two, he's 21 now, that was one of my first concerns, actually, because he had a huge list of allergens, and I was really Mm -hmm. afraid that I wasn't getting him proper nutrition. So we did meet with a nutritionist to receive guidelines because I was really concerned. Yeah, So actually on that note, when it does come to nutrition for our families, like I just mentioned, I didn't have any idea of what my first step should be. What would you recommend to someone, either with a child with a new diagnosis or even just ongoing, like how do we know, the internet has so much information on it, and so how do we know where to start for the different ages and stages? Like, so if I have a toddler or I have an elementary A student or high school student, how do I know what is the basic nutrition that they need?
1: Yeah, that is such a great question. And I think that, you know, many, many people who are address, who are starting with any sort of condition, right, or even they don't have a condition at all. And they're just, they just want to eat well and take care of themselves. And certainly for new moms, regardless of what they're addressing, or new dads, regardless of whether they have a diagnosis of a food allergy or another condition or they don't, Everyone is concerned with eating healthy, and there's so much information out there, and there's a ton of misinformation out there. So I think, you know, what you did is a great place to start, especially if you are a family that's dealing with a a new diagnosis of a food allergy, or if you're managing multiple food allergies, you know, having a a consultation with a registered dietitian nutritionist can make all the difference in the world, because he or she is going to be able to look at that child's specific situation and family specific needs and help you come up with a plan to provide the best nutrition possible considering your circumstances. So I think that's a really important part of creating a plan. You know what a registered dietitian nutritionist can do is is help look at your family's financial situation, your abilities, so as far as like what skills you have or need to get as far as cooking and food preparation, shopping, label reading, all of those are skills that you have to acquire, you may not have them when you start with a food allergy diagnosis, right? A lot of people never read labels, you know, probably the majority of people, even if you ask someone, do you read labels, they may say yes, but in their minds, they might think I'm reading the packaging, so I'm reading the label, but you and I know that that's not the same as reading a label, particularly if you have a food allergy. So I think, you know, meeting with a dietitian first, as soon as possible, is a great way to begin that process. And then there are some really good resources out there, too. You know, if you're dealing with, certainly if you're in the pediatric stage, right, if you're a parent, you've got a young child, whether it's an infant or older, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics has good resources on their website. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has good resources on their website. HealthyChildren.org is the AAP website, and EatRight.org is the Academy's website, and both of them also have books and videos and things like that on their websites that can help cut through the clutter and provide some good basic information.
0: Thank you. Those are some really important resources there. And how does someone go about finding a registered dietitian and nutritionist? Would we go to those websites and they might have finders or tools yep. to help us find that?
1: Yep. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics website does have find an expert, like a little button on the website. So if you go to the website, it's like, I think to the top right or something like that. And you just put in your area of the country and what you're looking for. You can actually select for food allergies or for pediatrics, and then click search and they'll help you find a dietitian that's near you. And many dietitians can also help virtually. And I think, you know, in today's climate, that's a really important resource to know is available as well. Sometimes insurance covers those visits, sometimes they don't. So, that's a, an important question to ask if it's something that you need to know.
0: That's a really good point to ask our insurance companies about that. So, once we know which direction we need to take, what suggestions do you have for shopping with food allergies?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it certainly could be a whole show on its own. <laughs> but I would say, you know, the sort of beginning and basics to me is, you know, the first thing is always read the label, right? So if you have a child that has a food allergy or has multiple food allergies, make sure you know what you're looking for. So before you go to the grocery store, know what you're looking for. And if your child has a food allergy that fits into the top eight, right? So if it's one of the big eight, uh, milk, eggs, peanuts, tree nuts, shellfish, fish, wheat or soy, if it's any of those, it's going to be very clearly included on the food label. So you'll look under the ingredients and see if it's there, it should say the specific name. If it's giving a more botanical name or a more complex name, but it is the same ingredient, it will say it in parentheses. So it'll be very easy to identify. It should be very easy to identify if it's one of the big eight. If it's not one of the big eight, then you have to be much more cautious and a little more careful about reading the labels. And if you're not sure, don't buy that product. You know, my advice always is anytime you're unsure about the safety of a food item, if you have a food allergy, don't buy it, don't eat it. Because it's not worth taking the risk. So that's the first thing is make sure you're reading all the labels all the time. And even if it's a product you have purchased in the past, you should still read the label every time. And my advice is always read the label three times. Read the label when you pick it up off the shelf. Read the label when you put it away at home. And then before you eat it, read the label again, just in case you missed anything.
0: That's a really good tip. We have that rule in our household too, because even with reading it in the store, sometimes you're rushed, you think you saw something and then you get home and you find out, oh great, I just bought, you know, the wrong product.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes manufacturers change their formulations too, you know, and oftentimes they're not adding in allergens, but sometimes they do. And sometimes, you know, one of the things I think is really important for people to remember too, is that. Just because someone has food allergies, it doesn't mean they're allergic to all of the top eight, right? They might be able to eat some things and not eat other things. So food allergies is a very specific condition for that specific person. And you have to avoid that food, but you don't have to avoid all foods, right?
0: Excellent point. Absolutely. Now, based on your fabulous knowledge here, can you share some nutritional powerhouse foods if you're traveling across country, what would be some good top eight or just different type of foods? Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, when I think about food
1: and um, making the best choices and really making the most nutritious or healthy choices, one of the things that I always tell people is look for color Look for colorful foods and incorporate more colorful foods into your diet. So that usually is going to mean fruits and vegetables, right? Fresher foods, foods that are less processed. That's one big part of eating healthy, nutritious food. And then eating a variety of foods. And especially for people who have food allergies, sometimes if you have multiple food allergies, the the tendency is to really over-restrict, limit, limit, limit in order to stay safer. And while that is, it is important to stay safer and you want to make sure you're always really careful, the more limited the diet is, the less nutritious it may be. That's not always true. But it could be that you're significantly limiting the nutritional quality of the food that you're eating if you're over So, So that's one thing I would say is if you can eat it, eat it. You know, whatever it is, if you can eat it, if it's safe for you, then include it in your diet. Don't avoid foods that you don't need to avoid. So, you know, I'm a big, proponent of heavily plant-based diet so if you can eat fruits and vegetables whatever they are then eat those more often whole grains are really important you know making sure that you're eating whole grains if you have a wheat allergy there are lots of other grains that do not contain wheat you know so look for for ones that are not going to be contaminated you know there are products out there that are safer and so find those products and, and eat those foods same thing for nuts. If you don't have a peanut allergy, you should be eating peanuts. You know, if you don't have a tree nut allergy, you should be eating those foods. Those are highly nutritious foods, and it's a shame to avoid them if you don't have to. Of course, keeping in mind safety, right? You know, you always want to read the labels and make sure that it's a safe product. I would say for milk, you know, that's one that we get a lot, a lot I get a lot of questions about. You know, milk allergy is certainly important, and we want to make sure we're ultra safe and avoiding milk if we have to. But, you know, what you replace it with needs to be something that's similarly uh, nutritious. And there are a lot of products out there that are uh, non-dairy or that uh, that don't contain milk at all. And the fact is that not all of those products are the same. Not all of them are the same nutritional quality. Not all of them have added calcium and vitamin D. Many of them do, but you have to read the label to know. And the other thing is that milk is a cow's milk is a really important source of protein in the diets of young people, in particular, young children. If it's taken out, then something else needs to come in that's similar in, in quality. So if a person can tolerate soy, if soy is not an allergy, that's actually the better choice when it comes to an alternative.
0: You know, that's a really good point about milk. I never thought about that, that it is a protein source. So Mm -hmm. um, I really er appreciate how you're explaining how we should replace food. So if we can't have milk. Well, what are we receiving from it? What can we replace it with? And then that gets very creative. And also I think it's very helpful too, how you brought up the points about whole foods and more natural type foods, because truly as we're traveling and as we're moving through life, those are easily accessible. It's a little Mm -hmm. harder to find our processed allergen safe foods, but you know, basically I can find oranges out there in this world and so forth. So those are some really very powerful tips and I really appreciate those. Okay. I was just going to add, you know, one of the things that I've always
1: told my patients and my clients is to look for foods that are naturally allergen free, right? Or naturally free from your allergen rather. So there are lots of foods that fit into that category. So rather than thinking about finding foods that are free from all the allergens, if you can look at foods and think about what's naturally free from your allergen, That's probably going to be a better, more nutritious choice.
0: You know we found that so, very true for my son when he was diagnosed with, I mean just this huge list of mm-hmm. of allergens. And so what we did is we're an ethnic family. I'm Greek and Mexican, my husband's Persian. And so we actually looked at the foods and our culture and found mm-hmm. so many recipes and so many things that fit it, so many rice dishes and chicken mm-hmm. dishes and certain kind of vegetable dishes. It was very mm-hmm. empowering to realize mm-hmm. that there were so many foods that we could eat when we thought at the time we couldn't eat.
1: I love that you had that really positive perspective. And I, and to me, that's one of the most important things that a good dietitian can do to help um, families who are, who are dealing with food allergies, especially in the beginning, it feels like, and some people always kind of stay in this place where they just feel like everything is unsafe and the, and they have so they're so limited. And unfortunately, there are sometimes diagnoses where it feels like there are so many things that you can't eat. And at the same time, if you can flip it and and get to a positive perspective about food, it's going to be a healthier place for you as a family and for the allergic child growing up so that they see opportunities instead of um, all those constant limitations, they can see the opportunities to kind of, you know, go beyond that
0: diagnosis. (laughs) It's kind of like the, the ultimate problem solving at a really young age. Yeah. You're going to start those skills really early. Yes. So now, do you have any tips for keeping children interested in healthy foods?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, as you know, I have a six-year-old. <laughs> so I have some like it's a hands-on right now experience in this. You know, I think that there are a couple of tips that I give to families that I I try to constantly employ in my own household. One is to offer foods very often. So, you know, sometimes a child might say at two or three or six, I don't like that food, you know, and and maybe they don't like it. But sometimes their palate just hasn't changed enough or accepted enough. It's very, very normal for a child who's a toddler or even school-age children to just reject all kinds of foods out of hand. You know, some of that is about control. It's not necessarily about the food. It's about control. They're trying to control something they can control because they can't control anything else. And this is very common for food, for children with food allergies because they're trying to control something. So offering healthy foods, safe foods all the time, you know, just making it right. Don't make it a big deal. Just keep putting it on the table. Introducing foods in lots of different varieties, right? So sometimes children may reject cooked carrots, but they might like raw carrots or the other way around. You know, so trying to figure out what is it that kids like by trying lots of different forms. And the same thing's true for adults, right? There are things you like that I don't like, or there are things that you might like things prepared a certain way, and I might not like it prepared that way. Try different spices. You know, it doesn't have to be hot, spicy, but cinnamon can go a long way or, you know, other different kinds of flavorings go a long way. And then dips are huge for kids. Kids like interactive food you know, they like to play with their food. And so if you can make that part of the experience for a child, that can be a lot of fun. And and we do a lot of snack tray eating around here. (laughs) We do that at lunch and we do that at dinner. Sometimes we're all put out, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and some cheese and some bread and some, um, maybe some some sort of meat. So whether it's roasted chicken or it might be um, some deli meat or something like that, even, you know, and just put it on a big cutting board and put it on the table. And then everybody gets to make their own plate. Everything on this tray is nutritious, you know, and, and it gives my son a lot of opportunities to try some different things he might not have otherwise tried. So one of the things I would say is don't make it a battle, you know, just keep things fun at meal times as much as you can. Don't make it a battle because when you do that, then children become much more resistant.
0: That is so true. And I, I still like to make funny shaped pancakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, the other day I took apple slices and my kids are big sun butter eaters. And so I took the apple, cored it, sliced it, put the sun butter on it. And then I put bananas and raisins and made eyes. And oh, they're teenagers, it. right? <laughs> and 21. And they, yeah. they were cracking up, but they ate them. And it was just <laughs> so funny. They were, they were like, mom, really? When are you going to grow up? Uh, Probably never. Never grow up. No, but, but you know there is something about that being fun, and even about reintroducing. The other day, I made mm-hmm. an egg white omelet, and my daughter mm-hmm. went crazy for it. Mm-hmm. And and she doesn't like eggs. According to her, she mm-hmm. does not like eggs. She does not like eggs for breakfast. I had gone back to the stove, and I was like, "Where's the rest of my omelet?" And then I realized uh, she ate it. So here you are, at sixteen. You're right. I never give up on that. And I would say
1: one thing too about you know keeping kids engaged or helping them eat things that they may not already enthusiastically eat is to get them involved in the process if possible. Some kids are more interested in food prep than others. But, you know, if you can engage a child early in preparing food, they're more interested in food in general, you know? And they become, they also learn those tools really early for food preparation and choosing food and combining foods and choosing nutritious foods and and some of the skills that they're going to need when they leave the nest, right? And whether they got food allergies or not, these are skills they're going to need for the rest of their life.
0: Is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners today about nutrition and feeding our children on special diets?
1: Oh, sure. We well, covered so much. And I would say, you know, don't, if nutrition is a challenge, and I know that it is for many families with or without food allergies, you know, don't struggle on your own. Look for help. You know, a registered dietitian, nutritionist who's got experience with food allergies can be a great resource. Um, and there are lots of us around the country, so look for that resource, you know, don't don't struggle on your own. One of the other resources that I love for feeding kids is um, the Ellen Satter Institute, so you can just Google Ellen Satter Institute, and there are some great books there about feeding kids that are more behavioral focused, it's a little less about nutrition, although she was a dietitian and it is nutrition related, it was it's much more about the social um, sort of dynamics around eating and, and meals and feeding. And I think that those are great resources if you're struggling with the behavioral part of helping kids eat and helping kids eat healthy food. And I would say that, you know, if people are interested in peanut allergies specifically, you know, from the National Peanut Board, there are a lot of great resources that I helped develop at peanutallergyfacts.org and at preventpeanutallergies.org because of course, we're very interested in helping people um, learn to prevent peanut allergies if they can through early introduction and infancy.
0: Well, thank you for those resources. I will make sure that when this podcast is completed that we include those resources for all our listeners on the FACT website and include it at the end of the podcast so everyone can access those. Awesome. Thank you, Caroline. Well, thank you, Sherry, for being on the show today. We look forward to inviting you back, which I know we will because there's so much more to talk about in terms of nutrition and our children and ideas, but I just wanted to thank you for your time and we appreciate you being here with us. Thank you, Caroline. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to Facts Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes and be sure to connect with us on social media. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.